Section 5 of Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo, by Edmund Dean Morell. Section 5, The History, What Britain Did as to the question of the natives the whole anti-slavery world has been swindled by the administration of the congo free state right honourable sir charles w dilke baronet m p september nineteen o three i now propose to deal as briefly as the subject permits with the two first questions placed at the head of the last chapter in the sixties and seventies of the last century central africa which had been a closed book to the world became the scene of notable exploring feats which excited in the highest degree the scientific commercial and political interests of the western powers to the scientists in geographical and ethnological research an immense field for activity loomed upon the horizon to the commercial nations was suddenly revealed enormous possibilities in the creation of new markets and that revelation was accompanied by a desire, especially among the protectionist powers, to acquire as much of the African El Dorado as possible as an outlet for their own manufactures. This desire led to what has been termed the scramble for Africa. England, France, and Portugal were owners of African territory already. Germany and Italy became attracted by the African magnet. And so did King Leopold II, constitutional monarch of Belgium, which since 1831 had become a separate kingdom, owing primarily to the action of Great Britain, who led the way in recognizing the series of events resulting in the secession of the southern provinces of the Netherlands from Holland. King Leopold's imperialistic tendencies were at that time regarded without approval by the Belgian people. Of all the exploring feats, which had caused the Western world to focus its gaze upon Central Africa, stanley's discovery of the congo was the most sensational and in that direction king leopold bent his steps he formed a company styled the international african association and sent several investigating expeditions at his own expense into the congo region mostly commanded by englishmen and germans taking particular care to assure the world that his intentions were purely scientific and severely disinterested France dispatched de Braza to the Congo region on a political mission of a definite character, and Portugal revived her historical claims to the territory lying behind her possession of Angola. King Leopold's plans were not nearly so altruistic as he professed, and fearing that they would be checkmated either by France or by Portugal, he appealed privately to England for support. What was the position of the King's International African Association at that period? It was a private enterprise anxious to secure international sympathies and calling itself international to that end, whose managing director was nursing political and other ambitions. From the standpoint of international law, it had no status whatsoever. While conducting a long private correspondence with Lord Granville, working American opinion through Mr. Henry Sanford, United States Minister at Brussels, and canvassing by various means the different European courts, King Leopold was meanwhile posing before the world as the self-appointed philanthropist and savior of the African race. He proposed to convert his association into a state with freedom as its watchword, 
thus providing a neutral field for the legitimate activity of all commercial nations whence rivalry should be de facto excluded and where the native would benefit by the blessings of even-handed justice and good government he repudiated with scorn the very notion of pursuing material ends either for himself or for belgium which in point of fact continued to view these schemes on the part of her monarch with distaste and apprehension so admirably did the king play his cards that public opinion was captivated the king captured the british chamber of commerce by declaring that if the british commercial community supported his proposals the congo trade would be free to all the world and would be exempt from such irritating restrictions as for instance characterized portuguese fiscal policy the chambers plumped for king leopold he captured the protestant missionary societies of england and the united states by his fervid philanthropic protestations and his promise to give every conceivable support to their propaganda the protestant missionary societies plumped for king leopold he captured the aborigines protection society of which he became a member and the philanthropic world of great britain entire what was the attitude of the british government sir robert morier had some years before submitted a scheme to lord beaconsfield to place the congo river under some form of international control on the model of the danube navigation committee according to this scheme great britain was to recognize the claims of portugal northwards from ambris to the southern bank of the congo while the northern bank was to become british lord beaconsfield did not favor it and when in eighteen seventy five Council Lieutenant Cameron issued a proclamation on his own initiative, taking possession of the basin of the Congo. His action was repudiated by Lord Carnarvon. Portugal, whose explorers had discovered the lower Congo in the 15th century, which had spent large sums in the coastal regions north and south of the river, was the only power which, historically speaking, could lay claim to political rights in the Congo basin. She was our old ally and she was pressing ardently for british support the british cabinet entertained the greatest objection to the placing of protectionist france with her hostile tariffs directed at british trade in control of the mighty congo basin and lord granville did not believe in king leopold hence a friendly ear was turned to the portuguese proposals mr gladstone wrote to lord granville december eighteen eighty three i should be disposed to yield to the portuguese proposal still with the intention of appropriating no exclusive advantage those proposals were that great britain should recognize the sovereignty of portugal on both banks of the river up to a certain limit inland and to draw an interior line which without expressly limiting portuguese sovereignty forever in those regions would put an end to the indefinite extension of her ancient claims leaving the interior to be dealt with by conventions from time to time it was proposed to declare the river open to the trade of the world and place it under an anglo-portuguese navigation commission to which the accession of the great powers would be welcome these proposals were accepted clauses were introduced protecting international trade against exaggerated tariffs protecting religious teachings of whatever denomination and the rights of the native chiefs of the coast who had concluded treaties with british consuls and merchants and the treaty was signed but king leopold had not been playing to the gallery for nothing the treaty was denounced by the british chambers of commerce and by the british philanthropic world 
the british government was accused of betraying national interests the portuguese government was accused by its subjects of a similar crime france encouraged by the clamour in england fanned into stronger flame by stanley's impassioned diatribes took up an attitude of resolute hostility and bismarck who in a fit of spleen had flung himself into competition with england on the dark continent and who desired on the other hand to keep french eyes from the rhenish frontier was only too glad to kill two birds with one stone by administering a sly kick at the anglo-portuguese instrument france was now seemingly the mistress of the situation and central africa ran the risk so thought the british government of becoming a french preserve whence foreign trade would be barred this great britain wished to prevent king leopold quickly realized the danger from his point of view and stanley acting on his behalf renewed the advances previously made to lord granville the only course left open to the british government was to support the king's enterprise but mistrusting the scheme and foreseeing its dangers lord granville determined to bind down the new state by conditions as stringent as those in the defunct anglo-portuguese treaty to secure freedom of trade and the protection of the natives bismarck's proposal for an international conference on west african affairs was assented to end of section five